Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams. Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging today, and I'm grateful to have a guest with us, Gary Gilmore. Gary, would you introduce yourself and a little bit about where you serve, how you serve at this time? Sure. Greetings to everybody. Gary Gilmore. My claim to fame in in this particular topic is that I was the state chaplain for the Missouri Army National Guard for uh, about a 10-year stretch. I was a local pastor who joined the National Guard as a chaplain. And in a rural setting, I, I needed a little bit bigger world. Well, it made my world a lot bigger. I had the opportunity to deploy to uh, uh, the great Northwest, uh, to Fort Leonard Wood here in Missouri. And then I tell everyone I got the all expense paid trip to Baghdad. So uh, <laughs> I saw the world a little bit. And then uh, we came back and worked out of Jefferson City for uh, the last 10 years of my career. And there we developed a program we called it Family Warrior Support. And it was intended for um, helping Uh, soldiers and their families, the soldier would deploy, but the family would stay home. And during this time of separation, um, there was anticipation, there was the separation and anxiety of being gone. Then there was the reunion phase of coming home after folks had changed and uh, reintegrating back into uh, civilian life. So the National Guard is a little different in that that our soldiers had jobs, they had families, they were teachers, business people, public servants, and they would be pulled out of that life uh, into a military life and then need to come back. And so uh, General Danner allowed us to create what we called Family Warrior Support. And it is there uh, with the pastoral uh, ministry skills for like 25, 30 years ahead of that, um, some simultaneous, and, and then some of it uh, just focused in, in each field. So that in, in me, veterans and, and talking to uh, soldiers and their families, uh, that's, that's the expertise that I would bring to a conversation that we want to have today. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. So as we get into military service and talk about veterans and, and talk about uh, aging veterans specifically in a few moments, what are some characteristics that are that we need to consider when we're thinking about military service and and you know veterans being a special group we, we think of them as a special group of people uh why yeah. why is that what what is what makes that so and and, and how can we uh, i guess better understand veterans from that perspective if, if, if you could uh, touch on that for us yeah um military service while there are a lot of service-oriented jobs or career paths um, very few of them uh, have you raise your right hand and take an oath that says, I'm willing to pay any price uh, to get the mission done. And that might be as simple as being inconvenienced. It might require that I be separated from my family. It might require I lay down my life. And uh, because of that, it, it brings you into the military culture. It has a different set of laws, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's uh, more strict and more severe than uh, the civilian laws. The commander says, uh, don't do this. Well, you could be court-martialed. You could be drummed out of the service for disobedience. 
rarely does that happen in, in other jobs. Not that there are no consequences. That and the culture, uh, the traditions, the ranks and the roles and the responsibilities. I've described it, um, not originally, I've heard other people say it too. It's like you write a blank check, you sign the bottom of the check, the pebble to the United States of America, but you leave the amount blank. Mm -hmm. And some people are called to give everything they got. Others make a small donation, but it immerses you in this culture. And then depending on where our nation is in history at that time, it could be a time of peace or it could be a time of conflict. In my career, I had a before 9-11 experience, and then I had a totally different experience after 9-11. And so there's this overlap, there's this culture, there's this um, immersion into uh, a mission-focused society where everything you do, everything you say, uh, bears incredible responsibility. And I've had many people, all ages and all generations, they come up and they say, I, uh, I went into the service as a, a boy and I came out a man. Hmm. And now we have uh, females in the service. Now we have uh, civilian contractors who will come along and do what we do. So um, I would just say it's this total uh, life absorbing and life-changing experience that makes veterans unique among all others. We found after uh, World War II and things like that, the, the VA, the Veterans Administration, medical care and all that, um, get injured in ways that other people don't get injured. Mm -hmm. you, you could have things happen to you that, that uh, I don't know, we, we, we have this envelope, so to speak, and you're either inside that envelope or you're, you're not inside that envelope. And um, the veterans have been consistent in saying people just don't understand unless they've been there. In fact, one guy said, if, if, uh, if you'd been there, I wouldn't have to explain it because I can't. Yeah. And, and, and if, you've, if you've been there, I don't have to explain it because you, you understand, you know. And so I don't think it's that veterans walk around with a chip on their shoulder. I think it's that veterans acknowledge that their experiences have shaped them. Many times it's a very positive thing, but sometimes it, it warps us. And we, we don't fit in the way we used to fit in. And, and that just then has some of those issues. So uh, again, we're not walking around trying to be cocky or conceited, but we are saying that, you know what, you write the blank back to your nation, and depending on what the nation asks you to do, it'll, it'll change your world. And so we just kind of have a tendency to go, we're going to hang around these folks, birds of a feather flock together. We're, we're going to find some comfort and some encouragement in that common uh, affliction or that common experience of a lifestyle of service. Well, that, that, that says a lot right there, obviously. Um, you know, and as you said, for, for many veterans, there's a positive experience, uh, regardless of the circumstance of their service. Some will yes. come out positive. Uh, some will have 
you know, negative aspects, whether that's bodily injury or whatever, but beyond bodily injury, what I wanted, uh, what I'd like for you to speak on for our audience right now is the idea of moral injury. And yeah. as we think about caring for veterans, uh, both those who may be recently uh, out of service or whatever, or perhaps as it might be applicable to those uh, that are a part of this podcast listening audience that, that are older, um, how, how does moral injury carry on throughout the decades of life to, to a later point in life as well, Gary? Yeah, yeah, that's a, a huge, uh, huge topic. The, um, the basic definition in, in my mind, and again, this is not the the total research thing. I'm not the academic. I'm the guy who's been out talking with folks, but it's basically a violation of our value system that the basic morality that I had in my conscience and in my value system as I grew up, um, something happened where I, I witnessed something or something experienced in my own life has scraped across the tender places of that value system and, and injured us. Um, just an example, uh, children should not die. None of us want to see children suffer. And yet you go into a war zone or uh, we dealt with an enemy who, who view uh, children as expendable. And so they would use them as decoys or they would uh, uh, hurt them. Or I'm thinking of earlier generations now, uh, uh, the results of uh, civilian casualties or, or hardship that was brought upon innocent people. And, you know, we have this sense of justice within us that the, the soul that sins should die. It shouldn't be the innocent person that is punished for the evil that someone else does. And yet war doesn't discriminate. Um, very painful is when soldiers go in and, and they say, well, I'm going to be a, a guardian. I'm going to be a protector. I'm a positive soldier. And then they do things that are not positive. And then they have to ask themselves, how did, how did I do that? Okay. And what do I do with the fact that I did that? Do I deny that? Do I admit it? How do I make that right? Where do I go with that? And um, there's not been a lot of help. So the idea of moral injury is, is somewhat recent. There are some in the academic circles who wonder, um, is that really a real deal? The soldiers I talk to, it is a real deal. I, I fell short of my own value systems or when I needed a moment of character, I, I caved in. Now, what do I do with that? What does that say about me and, and how do I go forward? So moral injuries, when I violate that value system and then you know, this is where I think Bible has stuff to say. If you cover your sin, you don't prosper. But if you confess and forsake your sin, you know, here, here we go. Um, so we may do that in our own heart with the Lord, but what does society think of us? I think of our Vietnam era veterans who um, 48 hours ago, they were in the jungle. It's finally their day to come home and they come home to an airport and they're holding baby killer signs and they're spitting on them. I know many veterans uh, told their family, bring me a change of clothes. They went into the bathroom at the airport and changed clothes and tried to come out and be a civilian. And so one identity on Monday was a totally different identity on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And there was no one to talk to. Where do you go with that? Who do you confide in? 
And, you know, now we're being a veteran again. Do they understand? Do they know what that's like? Um, you don't just want to sit down and bare your soul to someone who goes, well, boy, that's a simple, shallow head answer. Uh, you should have done this or you could have done that or why didn't you do something? Whereas you're aching in your soul and in your spirit going, those are not the issues I need to touch. I need someone who understands me. So that's the idea of moral injury. And I think our faith and my role as a chaplain was able to speak to that in so many ways. Uh, wasn't always easy answers, but you know, why is there evil? Why would we have to go to war in the first place? Why do people act this way toward one another? You got put into that situation. This happened to you, or you were in this experience or this, this battle, or, or you just observed what happened, but it, it is so against what you believe in and who you believe you are. Yeah. We need to talk about that. How does our faith speak to that? So that kind of thing. Absolutely. So you mentioned that moral injury is is more of a recent term. I mean, obviously that idea uh -huh. has existed for you know eons at this point. But but the yes. the term behind it, the the thought process behind it is new. And yet you mentioned Vietnam, and you mentioned the idea of someone going in and and trying to hide that identity that was uh, that was necessary 48 hours before in a, in, in a jungle. Right. Right. So, um, help, help the audience a little bit, Gary, especially as we think about uh, some of the people that, that are seniors today that are having, receiving care, uh, in a rehab facility mm -hmm. or a Baptist home type of facility. Many of them may have served in world war II or Korea uh -huh. and, and World War II, obviously, uh, it was a rallying cry, everybody, all hands on deck, you know, Rosie the Riveter, everything. Whereas, yeah, as you yeah. just mentioned, Vietnam, uh, th there was there was a lot of divergent opinion on that. And so how does, how does where you're stationed, how you're stationed, the timing yeah. of the of the of the combat, whether World War Two, even Korea, maybe to a lesser extent, more like Vietnam. Mm -hmm. But how does all of that play into uh, this idea of moral injury and even trauma? If if, if we want to move to the idea of trauma as well uh, for, these, yeah. for these people, man, that is a great question, and um, it has answers in in several different ways. If if I could just kind of maybe take those one at a time, absolutely. Um, we're tied into our, our history. We view as a, as a society, World War II is kind of the last good war. For sure, it was the last war we, we were certain of the outcome. There was no doubt both Japan and Germany surrendered. But World War II vets I've talked to, it mattered whether they were in Europe or whether they were in the Pacific theater of war. And so the experiences, even though they may have been combat veterans, um, were very, very different. The climate was different. The, the, the enemy was different. The, the whole uh, context of uh, working with the allies was different. I, I do find that uh, for most folks, when, when our soldiers and airmen and Marines came home, Coast Guard, I don't want to leave anybody out, uh, Navy, sure. uh, when, when they came home, there was something therapeutic about it took a lot of time. In fact, one of the, the theories is that when it, with all the soldiers coming home on the Navy ships, it took four weeks or so. 
Well, they had four weeks to process what had happened with each other. And they said, well, your experience is a lot like mine. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to be okay. Hmm. The, the newer veterans didn't get that. On an airplane, you're home real fast. And there's no decompression. I would say for our World War II guys and gals, and uh, we're nearing very few of those folks left, but there comes a moment when they may not have talked about it their whole life. They, they realize that uh, our time is short and maybe the family needs to know, or maybe they need a trusted pastor, a trusted friend, a trusted battle buddy that they could let that out and, and just say, hey, this is my story. This is what happened to me. I'm proud of this part. I'm not proud of that part, but it, it does us a world of good confession or just acknowledging, saying again, this is, this is my experience and um, it's a part of my life. I think the older we get, the more important it is to put our military service in the story of our whole life. It may have been a small chapter. It may have been a 20-year chapter. It may have been a, a, a 30 mega career. But whatever length that story is, it fits in the larger story of your whole life. And there's some peace and reconciliation with ourselves and with the Lord and with society when we say, this was my calling. This is what I did. And I'm ready to to admit that and I let go of what I've carried for so long. That's healthy. Uh, same thing with Korea. Uh, very, very important that when you're ready, uh, you find somebody to talk to. And uh, it, it may be that the family wants to make a big deal out of it and honor you as a hero. It may be that, that they don't. It, it's about you being uh, congruous, being consistent, having integrity in yourself. So don't be afraid of that. Don't run from that. It's important. It's a part of your life. It's a part of your story. God is still in that. Let's celebrate that. Hmm. Our Vietnam guys, some of them volunteered, but very few of them did. That was the last time we had the draft. And they got plucked out of of uh, a normal life you know uh, a lot of folks go gee these poor kids today they're not getting with covid they're not getting their graduation party and the vietnam vets are going yeah you want to tell me tell you the graduation party i got to go to yeah. it was at the the medical processing center you know and from there boot camp and and beyond um but but there were horrible things it was a horrible time and it didn't enjoy the support of the public. And a lot of vets have felt betrayed because we went over, we lost buddies, we sacrificed, it was miserable. And then uh, nobody said, thank you. Nobody said, welcome home. So there again, I think it's important that we identify that and bring that congruency or that integrity, that one-to-one -one correspondence with, it's okay to say it was bad. It's okay to say I, I may have reacted poorly to what happened. But it's also okay to say, but that's not the whole story. There's the rest of my life that, that uh, I've worked on and I've dealt with and I've carried this and I've supported other vets and I've been a part of that and, and that counts. And uh, we've got to, we got to 
we got to say, if the war experience counts, well, being home and doing good counts too. So we're, we're prone not to do that. We get focused in and emotionally centered on the, the negative, so to speak, or the wartime only, but it fits into the larger story of our life and we get to control that. And so that that's kind of the, the flavors that I've experienced. Okay, so um, we, we've just spoken, and I, I appreciate how well you articulated that, Gary. We just spoke about how the individual who has served can try to process that for themselves and, and to incorporate that into their lives. Um, even Vietnam vets at this point are uh, are beyond, some of them are beyond a retirement age, if you will, and, and we'll be right. looking at care facilities and things like the Baptist home. So the Baptist home certainly already has uh, people of that age, if not specific, but how can families then encourage that help towards that end, help that person to not only process, but you, you mentioned the, the congruity aspect. Um, mm-hmm. what the, how do we honor that person? How do we help that person to find integrity if they're not able to find it for themselves in, in the later part of their lives? Yeah, um, well, that's, that's huge. And thanks for bringing in the families because uh, I know a lot of family members, um, wives, spouses, um, dealing with a soldier with PTSD, just as an example. Um, impacts all of your life or, or coming home wounded. Uh, you thought you were going to go mountain climbing all your life and, and you're happy to get in the van. You know, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I think it's okay to say, I may never understand fully what it was like for you, but that doesn't diminish my support. That is not a precondition of me loving you you know, we said for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Hmm. And not everybody was able to live up to that. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, what can you do with what you got? What, what about the life you have? Where is God in that? And I, and I think it's that, that somehow communicating the message, I, I honor the story you have whether it's the story I wanted or whether it's the story I think it ought to be is not the question. I honor your story and, and I want to support you in a meaningful way that will help. Um, you know, the, the experts talking about grief, um, end of life kinds of issues. I'm in the habit of sharing uh, what a hospice doctor came up with. He said, there's five messages. The first one is forgive me. I'm not perfect. I failed you. Please forgive me. The second message is I forgive you mm-hmm. in our relationship. You're not perfect either. And, and I'm not holding that against you. I, I forgive you. The third message is thank you. It, it wasn't about the theory. It was about what we had. Thank you. You've, you shared life with me. We've walked together. Thank you. The, the second one is uh, I love you next to the last year. Number four is I love you and number five goodbye. And so those, those messages are part of any person bringing a healthy closure to the story of their life on planet earth. Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you and goodbye. And, you know, we're all at different places on those. 
I keep saying forgive me quite a bit right now, you know, <laughs> that's kind of a, a theme in my world. Uh, but I'm also having to, to say to, and this sounds weird, but sometimes we need to forgive God. You know, we, we say what I wasn't in charge of, you must've been. Hmm. And look what happened. That's, I tell you what, it's a turning point when we can can look toward heaven and instead of shaking our fist at the Lord, we open our palms up and we just receive his love. And we say, it was the story of my life. And, uh, you know, you didn't make the whole world and make a mistake when it came to me. Hmm. So I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. Forgive me. I've reacted to it, but I forgive you, too. Thank you for the life I've got. Thank you for the life I've lived. I love you. I mean, you, you talk about healing our hearts from the inside out, whatever life has brought us. Those are five good messages to today. And the good news is when we say goodbye here, we say hello to the Lord. So there's our hope. There you go. There's our hope. Okay. Amen right. to that. Amen to that. So <laughs> so that was a little bit about the grief and 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 both sides going through that through that process of forgiving me, forgiving you. I mean, that's that's a two-way conversation yeah. there. Um Roger. let's let's move beyond grief to a different level of trauma. Um okay. You know, again, uh, moral injury can play into that, certainly. Physical injury can play into that. Uh just imagery going on in our minds uh complain yeah. to that so so speak to those that are dealing with traumatic issues whether it's 20 40 or 80 years after the, their time of service How, what, what might you say to encourage those uh, individuals gary yeah well true story uh, it's not my proudest moment we didn't know this at the time but we asked one of our world war ii vets to uh, speak at a, a nursing home here in our town and uh, one of my young guys went out and he got some video of like the USS Iowa bobbing shells, uh, softening up the beach uh, before an invasion. And this, this veteran we asked to speak was a, was a Marine who, who stormed that very beach. Mm. We didn't know it, but he had never watched a war movie. He, he had been the concussion from a shell knocked him out for three days. And uh, I did not know it, but with, without trying to, we, we re-traumatized him a little bit. And uh, he got up and he said, you know, this is a, a lot harder than I expected, uh, simply because it is still so real. And uh, it's, it's not on film for me. It is, it is in the, the camera of my heart mm -hmm. where, where this is. So this idea of working through that together and being able to uh, go forward with it, I had to be careful. It really slowed me down to say, tell me a little more about your experience so that I don't unintentionally stomp on uh, something, something significant there. Um, help me again with with where we were going to go with that question. Just just talking beyond the grief to the trauma and-, and, and To how, the trauma. Yeah, and how people can, uh, even if it's not war related, but, but how people can move beyond the traumatic experiences of their life. Yeah, so let me, let me explain a little about trauma that I know. One is that uh, there's a physical dimension to trauma, the way our body uh, reacts to scary things, fight or flight or freeze is that third F that we're talking about now. 
So there's a physical dimension of that. And that's where the, the doctors and the therapists are, are so much better skilled at that. But then there's this emotional dimension of it. And it's like that uh, grain of sand that gets into the oyster and they begin to coat over that to protect it. Yes, you can make a pearl out of that, but it starts with a very painful insertion of a grain of sand into a very tender place. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, uh, that's the issue that you need that support system around you to help. So um, it can be as severe as a diagnosis of uh, uh, post-traumatic stress uh, syndrome. You know, those are clinical things based on a certain amount of criteria. It, it can be that that emotional reaction tell you the fourth of july when i first got home from my deployment i did not like firecrackers at all it, it had a whole different meaning those first few uh, celebrations and man i was a veteran i was gonna wave the flag i was proud on the fourth of july except i'm kind of hiding and don't mess with me right now it's not sure. a good time so sure. um there there is certainly a time to reach out and, and go to the medical professional people. But I tell you what, the older we get, the more we need a network of veterans uh, in our community and, and to deliberately create a community that has veterans in it because we trust each other. We'll give you credit. You start out okay, okay? But, but then as we talk about that and do, um, we don't have to explain ourselves. We're just better at going, hey, this is a tough time for you. No expectation, but I'm here. What can I do to help? Can I listen? Or we'll just sit or, you know, play dominoes or, or something like that. Do a crossword puzzle. Uh, there's, there's good things. But, but that trauma, again, has multiple layers. And sometimes, you know, it just won't go away. There's, there's a, a splinter in your finger and you got to go dig it out. It's worth doing because then healing, healing can begin. So. Uh, again, beyond that, you kind of have to sit down and go, so what was that like for you? Help me just listen to that and, and offer um, my shoulder, just offer my friendship, offer my hand, offer my, my encouragement. And, um, and you know what? If it's a scary thing, don't talk to somebody, I'll go with you. I often tell my soldiers, I'm, I'm given this briefing on, on suicide. I said, it may never be for you, but a soldier's not going to come and talk to the chaplain. The soldier's going to go to his battle buddy. The air guy's going to go to his wingman. We're, mm. we're going to go to the, the trench partner, and we trust them. So I may not be talking about this for your sake. It may be for the guy you're going to meet, the one who will come to you. They'll never come and talk to me. Mm. So uh, pay attention and realize that we are all in this helping one another make it better. Yeah. Good, good words for that. So, um, Gary, why, why do some veterans do better than others? Uh, you know, I mean, again, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps the encouragement of knowing you are on the right side, World War II uh, is a part of that, as opposed to coming home and, and the protest during Vietnam and stuff. But, but yeah. the idea of resilience, as you right. called it, why do some veterans do better than that? And, and how can we how can we help pro help uh, help all veterans process this, uh, even late in life? Even late in life, especially late in life. Yeah. Yes. Andy, that is, that is great. Um, the idea of resilience came out of uh, 
education came out of our school teachers in like inner cities. And they were asking the question, here's, a, here's two kids that grew up in poverty and they didn't have a lot of advantages. One goes on and, and has this incredible life and, and career and another person just kind of stays stuck. What's the difference? What is the resilient factor? And I don't know if they've ever actually solved it. Again, some of that is physical and inherent. Some of that is imprinted on us when we're very, very young. Some of it has to do with all of our dreams and aspirations. Uh, life has a way of challenging those. And uh, uh, sometimes there's opportunities. I think the thing I would say to, to veteran friends is, even though you may think there is no way back or, or there's no way better than what you're feeling right now, and that could be nightmares, that could be physical symptoms, that could be um, anger, it could manifest itself in harshness and being critical, and you say, no, nope, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. We all have the responsibility to, uh, to grow our character as the Lord draws us closer. Um, but there are ways. There is usually a person that is a role model or a mentor for those students who invests in them. There is a peer support. Um, I think what I'm trying to say and what we learned at Family Warrior Support is no matter what that family was going through, if they would be willing to ask, we could be an intermediary to find a resource for them that would make that better. And sometimes it was just another National Guard family who lived 10 miles and they would get together and go out and eat once a month. And just that camaraderie, going through the kids together, the wives, when, when one soldier was deployed, the other family kind of adopted the folks at home. And then that reversed at another time. Well, for our, our older vets, it might be, you know what? Uh, we had a, after drill, sometimes we'd have, a, we call it a veteran's coffee. And you brought a styrofoam cup and we drank a cup of dough and we just talked about how you doing. And, and the door was closed and it was, it was what, what was in the group, stay in the group. But it was a safe place for people to come and do. So wherever we are, we can get a cup of coffee. We can ask. Uh, there are community resources out there. The VA has a lot. But, um, for example, the Vietnam era vets, uh, they have what they call vet centers. They didn't want to go to the hospital setting. And so now in shopping centers, there's a, a vet center. And even if you're not comfortable with that, uh, there's a network of counselors out there uh, that have military experience. And they'd be willing to talk to you. In fact, uh, Uncle Sam will pay for a few sessions to get things going if you know who to ask and how to leverage that. And so I think this idea of resilience is if you just take a, a small step of responsibility to get the ball going, I think you'll find that there's other resources that can add to that first step. One domino knocks over another domino. And after a while, there's a trail that takes you to a place of, of support and encouragement along the way. Mm -hmm. So um, don't give up. And hey, I, I visited my, my uncle in a nursing home and I surprised him. I, I walked up behind him and I said, is there any place a, a poor guy can get a cup of coffee and a kind word? <laughs> and we ended up sitting down and just having a, a good time. 
uh, in the the common area of, of his nursing home. One of our one of our last conversations, actually. So um, you just never know. God can bring a person through that open door, but the the doorknob's on the inside. So push it open. Let's see what God does. Good. Well, Gary, we we are we've expired our time here, and so which which is a good thing. Um, uh, you know, we we may uh, seek to have you back and, and to talk some more about this at some point. But before we leave, I, I'd like to know you, you mentioned the, the program that you have there for the the family warriors and such. You have mm-hmm. your own ministry as a pastor. How how can our audience pray for you in your ministry endeavors at this time? Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Um, I have retired, and others have taken my place, and they're doing a great job. They haven't asked me to come back, so uh, <laughs> that that won't happen. But I did I did form a little uh, not for profit. I call it Missouri Chaplain Services, and and I said, you know, one of the things that I could do as a chaplain that maybe other retirees uh, don't do is um, I can go and offer graveside services. There are a lot of soldiers and veterans, a lot of veterans in particular. I, I say soldiers just because that's my my history. But again, mentioning every veteran out there, um, they may not have had any faith background at all. But if Charlie was in the army, and uh, for goodness sakes, there was an army chaplain, and and now our family is in need of some comfort, I said, you know what, I can put on, uh, I'll put on the uniform as long as it fits, and otherwise I'll just come <laughs> and I'll bring my my military experience, but but I'm looking for ways to connect with our veterans on the side, and that may be that networking person. Uh, how do I connect you to somebody else? But but I have done some uh, graveside services where we render military honors for those who have served our nation, and uh, it's fledgling. I have one person who supports me. It's not about the money; it's about the opportunity. If to pray for that opportunity to. Uh, to uh, let one of those guys who's been there and done that with them come alongside them and offer support and encouragement and, and if need be, uh, be that liaison uh, on that final day where we, we say thank you for your service. That'd be a high honor. So that'd be a prayer request. And I sure enjoyed this. Bless your heart. You guys listen really good. <laughs> I, I get started and I don't quit. Uh, but, that's okay. Uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to talk about veterans and, you know, they're, they're wonderful people. They've served our country. Uh, we owe them a debt of gratitude. There's one kind of veteran who gave life and uh, honor them every Memorial Day. But there are so many more veterans who did their service and they came home and they paid their taxes and they raised their family and they lived in the freedoms that they fought for. They're just as much a hero as that person who didn't get to come home. And we honor them every Veterans Day. So uh, 4th of July, Memorial Day, Veterans Day, there's a soft spot in my heart for those guys. So thanks thanks for what the Baptist Home is doing, caring for vets as well. Oh, thank you. I think I think that's a great word to end on, Gary, the word honor, uh, that, that, that we honor those who have served. So thank you for your service. Thank you for uh, being with us today and, and sharing some of your insights and wisdom, as you said, from a practical experience, that being right. one-on-one uh, with many of those who have experienced the different issues that we've been able to cover today. So again, thank you for your time uh, and, and involvement today. Roger that. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Thank you for joining us for this interview today. Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by Baptist Homes and Healthcare Ministries, go to www.thebaptisthome.org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the aging.